Welcome, folks, to the sixth episode of No Conference for Old Men, the podcast where a couple of old guys are talking Houston Cougars and Big 12 college basketball, but with a bit of national big game coverage sprinkled in as well. We're into week two of games and have now had an early view into our Houston Cougars and all the teams in the Big 12 and around the country. Really exciting first week of games and lots to talk about as we continue to assess where the teams are at as we head into week two. And today, we also have Bill Walker, who is with us in episode four, back to co-host with Tom Lidiak and myself. And like last week, we'll start off with a summary of the Houston Cougars games that were played, move into a preview of the games in the coming week for them, then highlight some key Big 12 games to watch for in week two. Okay, so we've got a ton to get to, so let's just blast forward. We had our first game with Louisiana Monroe, televised on ESPN+. And of course, the Cougars won big, 84-31. Tom, maybe you can kick things off. And from a coach's perspective, what are your thoughts on the game? Well, the first thing that hits me is Louisiana Monroe was just totally overmatched. I mean, they they had a tough time just even getting a shot off. And they were just kind of, you know, they had all these awkward movements. It was, I think it was also kind of a tough a tough game for our guys to play with, especially defensively when players aren't very skilled, but it was, they were just overmatched and we just blitzkrieged them. It was interesting uh, to see the first game, you know, who would start, uh, what, what kind of combinations that coach Sampson was using, but yeah, overall it was kind of what I expected. Uh, probably didn't think it would be that big of a margin, but Coos came out and, and took it to them. No, no difference. X's and O uh, ran the same man-to-man defense. You know, monster the post, same pick and roll coverage. It looks like uh, offensively, pretty much the same offensive scheme that we that we ran last year. We have more shooters this year, and that's uh, that's really going to help. Yeah, did you see any any improvement on the monstering? I know you had commented during the exhibition game where we weren't very crisp and it was a little soft at times. Did you yeah, see any improvement? Uh, and it's probably unfair to compare, you know, some of our players now to Reggie Shaney, Fabian White, you know, some of the other, uh, Justin Gorham, those guys, when they monstered the post, double team the post, I mean, it was quick. It was aggressive. Got a lot of deflections uh, from the post. I don't see the physicality, you know, of the, of the monster this year. Of course, there's a difference in size too with, with who we have coming over and, and, and double teaming. But, you know, hopefully that, that doesn't cause us problems this year. But you know what? We have Coach Sampson, Hall of Fame coach, you know, and he'll figure out a way how to, how to get it done. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Bill, what are your thoughts on the game? Yeah, I, I largely agree. I was listening to Calvin's press conference after the game last night, and he kind of summed things up for the not only the, the initial game, but everyone so far, and that's that the new players are all a step slow right now. That included yeah. Cryer, that included Dunn. Everybody, the frontline players, you know, Tugler, everyone. And he also mentioned Francis, who's really stepping into more playing time for the first time. And But he also said that everyone's been like this. Sasser was like it when he started. Uh, absolutely everyone was a step slow. And, and it's, you know, it's a tough system. And he mentioned that everyone will get there and because he's got history on his side. So it's, it's a process. And uh you know, they, they took care of what they needed to take care of in the first game, all three games, really. But it's a process, and Kelvin wants them, you know, doing specific things, and, uh, you know, they'll get there. It's just a matter of some new players, whether through the portal or freshmen and not getting a lot of playing time previously. But uh, I feel pretty good about the way they played all three games. Yeah. I mean, anyone stand out for you in game one? Game one... I mean, in both of the first two games, I really like the way Juwan played. I'm, yeah. I'm becoming higher and higher on him. He may be my favorite player this year. He just he knows where to be offensively. He's he's aggressive. He's comfortable in the post, getting the ball and making his moves to the basket. You know, he's played a lot of five in the past, played almost exclusively five. Yeah. Now he's at the four, but he, he's still doing what he's comfortable doing, and that's getting the ball in, in the post and and uh, getting to the basket. He's not only looked really good on the offensive end, but defensively, he he's where he needs to be. He understands the scheme. He gets over to help uh, with the other players, and 
I just really, he's really impressed me so far. I, you know, it's, it's hard to really make an accurate judgment because of the talent that we've faced so far, but, yeah. but I really like Juwan. I like the way he's played. Yeah, and, and I don't know if the two of you guys had caught in, I think, Kelvin Sampson's press conference after Game 3, but it's the second time this season that he's referenced that Juwan could come back for yet another year. I don't even know how that's possible. I mean, I guess we have the COVID year, but I'm doing the math, and I, I felt like this was the last possible year he had, but but that would be really exciting to get him back, possibly, for another year. He's already so good. And you're exactly right. He knows the system frontwards and backwards. And to, to be able to possibly get another year out of him would be crazy fortunate for us. Yeah, I hadn't heard that. But if that were to be the case, I could not agree with you more, Steve. Yeah. Now, when I look at game one from an analytics perspective, and before I get into the details, just a reminder for folks that when we start citing the stats that, you know, anything in the top 40, you're really great in that area from a nationwide perspective, anything ranking 175 or below, and you've got a serious weakness to address. When we look at game one, our starters, we had Jamal Shedd, LJ Cryer, Emmanuel Sharp, Roberts, and Javier Francis. We saw a second lineup at the five-minute mark with three replacements with Malik Wilson, Jojo Tugler, and Damian Dunn. And then we started seeing a lot of mixing and matching of lineups where we had Terrence Arsenault or Walker come in at the four. And you started seeing Cryer was kind of that common player that seemed to stay on the court longer. And my guess is it's trying to get him used to our system and playing with the kids and especially for the first few games, if you look at the statistics, LJ Cryer was really trying to find himself. There was some sloppy play initially on offense. Then we bring in the three off the bench. And then basically Dunn goes off. 14 straight points. Ends the first half with 17 points. And guys, if you can believe it, he outscored Louisiana Monroe 17-14 at the half. And at that point, basically the game is over at the half. Now, from a deeper analytics perspective, and Ken Palm did publish the stats for the game, and I'm going to try to compare it to our standard, and I'll use last year as our standard. But on offense, our effective field goal percentage was a tiny bit below standard at 51.6% versus 52.3% last year. We protected the ball overall with turnover percentage at 15.4%. I mean, that was right on standard. And then offensive rebound-wise, did you know pretty well at 43.5%, which is quite a bit higher than our standard at 37.1%. On D, we limited Louisiana Monroe to 32% effective field goal percentage versus our norm of 42.7. Forced them to 40.3% turnovers. That is crazy. Right. And our standard as highly ranked as we were last year was 21.1%. We limited the three point shooting to 18.8% and blocked 21.7% of their two point shots. So basically, we exceeded our norms as we should have given the competition. So it was a blowout and everyone got to play. Now, as we move to our second game with Texas AM Corpus Christi, and of course, our Cougars won big 82 to 50. Bill, what's your perspective on that game? Yeah, I like, you know, I obviously like the way they played, took control, which you would expect, and, you know, had the game very early on. Person that I like, in addition to Roberts, who looked good in that game, I'm becoming a big fan of Mike Wilson. And Calvin had mentioned last night that, that it was important to him to limit Shed's minutes this year and to keep his minutes down to maybe less than 30 a game, which did not happen all that much last year. And he specifically addressed Wilson. And, and Will, I like the way Wilson plays. One, he's kind of a long guard, a long point guard. He defends well. But the other thing is, his first thought is to, when he's playing with other small guards on the court, whether it's Cryer or Shed or whoever it might be, he's getting the ball a lot at the free throw line, and he's turning and looking for the shooters right away. He's yep. He's really got a pass-first mentality, and, and I like that because, you know, when people begin to converge on him, he'll be able, with his length, to get the ball to, to Cryer or to Sharp, you know, Arsenal if he shoots well. Yeah. But I, I really like the way he plays. He defends well, and I think Kelvin's going to have no issue 
giving Shed more rest this year because Wilson is, is that good as a backup point guard. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, just like we were talking about in game one, you know, the competition level is is pretty low. And so there's not a lot of pressure on the point guard at this point as the competition ramps up, especially on the opponent's defensive intensity side. It'll be interesting to see if his ball handling is actually good enough to spell the kind of minutes that, that we're hoping to get from him at the point. Yeah, I think it will be. I, I He's played point in the past. He's played point in the Big 12. I think he'll be just fine. I think he's going to be a kind of a sleeper, someone that's not necessarily expected to do a lot of great things. And quite honestly, he probably won't be someone who, you know, ends a game with 15 points, eight assists, you know, six rebounds, something like that. But he's going to get the ball to the right people. He's going to defend and he's going to make smart decisions with and without the ball. I just, I like the way he plays. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. I mean, it's interesting. Height-wise, he's not that tall. He's about the same size, right? Six one, but his arms are so long, right? And he's yeah. very, very athletic. It's, he's able to get in the passing lanes, get block shots, get rebounds. It's yeah, it's quite impressive in terms of what he can do at his size. So, what do you think, Tom, from a coach's perspective? Yeah, getting back to Wilson, he just looks a lot taller than he is. You know, he plays bigger than his than his listed height. Going back to that A&M Corpus Christi game. Uh, I thought A&M Corpus Christi was scrappy. Not a whole lot of teams play the defense they play uh, anymore, which is a, a pressure man. They they put uh, they get in your grill. If you got the yeah. ball, they're in your grill. And then they're denying passes, one pass away. And if you're just sitting around there just bouncing the ball, trying to get into a set or whatever, you know that's playing right into their hands. And I thought it took us oh, probably eight, nine minutes to adjust. And then after that, you know, we, we started driving to the basket under control. Uh, pretty hard, and then we, uh, you know, eventually pulled away. But it, it looked for a while there that you know we we struggled a little bit at first you yeah. know, in our in our offense. But then you know, give credit to A and M Corpus Christi; they were they were getting after it. Both teams got in foul trouble in the first half. I didn't think the officiating crew was was the best. It almost ah, like they, they were, were terrible, terrible. <laughs> right? I thought they were kind of <laughs> over their heads. It got especially in the second half. It got really really ugly at times. Yeah, uh, the game did, but. Starting with the second half of AM Corpus Christi, I don't know if it was an emphasis at halftime or whatever, but we stopped fouling. I mean, we're still playing good defense, still pressuring the ball and, and applying all the pressure, but we just I thought we only had like two fouls in the whole second half or five. I can't I can't remember, but I don't think AM Corpus Christi got in the bonus at all in the in the second half. Yeah, no, it was a huge improvement. I mean you know, we were at the game, so we actually got to see Coach up close working the officials, right? Especially in the first half when he couldn't believe, none of us could believe some of the calls. And so I think that, that's one of the benefits of having a, a legendary coach, right? Coaching your team where he's got that influence to, to hopefully shift even how the refs are calling it, right? Yeah, and, and, and the respect I, he has. And I think on our part, I think we, we cleaned some stuff up you know, defensively yeah. as far as, uh, you know, how much fouling we were doing, doing on the ball. Yeah. Okay. I mean, from a analytics perspective, the starters were the same. We did see a bunch of the mixed lineups with one in and four out. And that seemed to be a theme throughout this game as well as the previous game. And we saw a repeat of it in, in the third game as we'll get to that one. Cryer played the most minutes at 30 minutes. Again, trying to get more playing time with all the different players and adjusting to our program definitely starting to feel a little bit more comfortable even though he's only two of seven from three and he's a normally a 41 percent three-point shooter sharpen roberts played 22 minutes my new favorite player tugler played 21 minutes and francis played 20 minutes shed in arsenal then came in and got 19 minutes and really it was nice right when you get these as you call them, Tom, cupcake-type games, you're able to get all the players in, get some minutes there. Roberts was the star with 17 points, nine rebounds, four assists. But I do want to mention Francis and Tugler combining at the five. Really stellar contributions at 15 points, seven rebounds, and eight block shots between the two of them, which is crazy. Again, as you guys had highlighted, more sloppy play on offense to start. Defense and offensive rebounding won the day for us. As you dig into the advanced analytics from Kent Palm, 
on offense, our effective field goal percentage was actually below standard at 46.3%. We protected the ball overall with turnovers at 12.3% versus 15.4%, which is our norm. Offensive rebounding, we were close to standard at 35.2% versus normally 37%. On D, we limited A&M Corpus Christi to 33.6% effective field goal percentage, so that's better than we normally do. Forced them to 23.3% turnovers and limited three-point shooting percentage to 23.8%, which is phenomenal. We also blocked 20.9% of their two-point shots. And basically, especially on the defensive side, we exceeded all of our norms, again, for a lesser opponent. And now, finally, we go to our third game versus Stetson. And, of course, the Cougars won big again, 79-48. Tom, you want to kick things off and provide some thoughts? Sure. Uh, For Stetson, it was turnover city. I think they had, oh, shoot, it was like 13 turnovers in the first half. It it was, uh, I know Reed get. I was watching the game on, on ESPN Plus, and, and Reed Geddes was just kind of – he couldn't believe it either. Uh, yeah. Uh, they did a, sets in a better, better job in the second half. I think it's the, they went to a smaller lineup and got some of those big donkeys out of there, you know, that were just handling the ball in the perimeter. <laughs> just, uh, just, just, they were tall, though, right? They had like you know, uh, two, two guys up front that were like 6'11", 7'. They, they were tall, and uh, yeah, they were tall. Yeah. <laughs> 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 And we'll leave it at that. But yeah, I got uh, we got off to a you know good start defensively, and eventually we had some shots that that dropped. Stetson played some zone. I liked in her zone offense when when Wilson got in there and when he flashed to the high post. That's right. You know he was able to catch the ball, turn, face the basket, and then and then make some plays. Yeah. A, a lot of big guys when they catch the ball in the high post, you know, they for some reason they don't they don't pivot, reverse pivot, and face the basket. They tend to just catch the ball and you know and throw it right back out. But uh, you know, Wilson being in the middle, he he was a playmaker. He's able to get the ball in there and then and, and make some good plays. So yeah, overall, we did what we had to do, and hopefully, Coach Sampson and staff came away with some stuff we need to work on and get uh, and get better coming into this game on on Thursday. Okay. So Bill, what do you think about game three? Yeah. Yeah. I've got a bunch of thoughts on this one as it's, as it's so recent, I guess the turnovers were unbelievable. And and Tom, it was actually because my friend and I who were at the game watching it, were wondering if they were going to average a turnover a minute in the first (laughs) half. They had, (laughs) they had, they literally had 16 turnovers with four minutes left in the first half. They were averaging a turnover a minute. They ended up with only 17 in the first half, so they they cut things down considerably <laughs> over the final four minutes. And, and then they played, the, you know, they made some adjustments and made, played a much better second half. Stetson's actually not a bad team. I I think we're going to control, and we'll get into this later, but we'll control Towson. I don't think Towson's nearly the team that Stetson is. I think Stetson just was not prepared, certainly mentally and, and I guess physically as well, for the for the aggressive D that we threw at them. Their point guard, Stevenson, and their two guards are the strength of the team, at, uh, small forward as well. Their point guard had nine turnovers in the game. He he just was not reacting to, to the double teams. He was occasionally he was trying to get rid of the ball too early he he just didn't know how to handle that type of pressure and uh and they won't be seeing that you know in their conference and probably against anyone else this year but uh i I think they were just overwhelmed from the start and yeah we took care of them they've got uh their best players their shooting guard his his name is Jarrell blackman he's his father was a high school all-american first second team all-american and played at kentucky and uh until about midway through the second half, he had barely gotten off a shot. He hit one three in the first half. I mean, we just they just were overwhelmed by our defense, which which was great to see. Yeah, I was interested going into the game because they have six players that get minutes that are six nine and above, and so I was curious to see how we handle that. But <laughs> very very early on, I realized that they've got six players that. Our borderline Division One players. <laughs> I was like, you know what? I, I don't even 
I don't even care to pay attention to, to this anymore because they're just not any good. But yeah. uh, I liked, and this happened at the beginning of, I think it was the Corpus Christi game. Dunn had a good game. He had a good shooting game, particularly in the first half. We came out and we, we weren't hitting shots right off the bat. And then Dunn came in and boom, 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 hit three threes. He's kind of been night and day, as I've at least for the first two games. He'll, when he's getting his shots in the flow of the offense, when he's not forcing it, he hits his shots, he makes good decisions, he makes good plays. He had that great first half the other night, and then uh, the other game, and then, and then in the second half, he started forcing shots, he turned the ball over. Uh, when he's letting Shed, Wilson, uh, even Sharp, Cryer do something with the ball and then kick it to him, he's He's got a great shot. He's got a yep. great stroke. He, he shoots the ball well. When he's playing in the flow of the offense, he's he's really good. And he's he's gonna. I think he's gonna have a good year. And I'm sure he's sure Calvin and the coaching staff are saying to him, "Look, when you're just letting the game come to you and you get your shots out of the flow of the offense, you're gonna have good games. When you're forcing it, it's not what we want." I also I liked your guy last night, Steve. I thought Arsenal played aggressively he had he had one of the craziest shots i've ever seen where he kind of did a almost a 360 and shot the ball through the bottom of the bottom net, of the net yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah not not uh, not a highlight for his game but, but no but he didn't think as much on the offensive end when he got the ball i thought he got it and he went up with his shots he went right to the hoop he, he i mean he had he did you know the, the bigger those big guys guarding him and and he knew that he could by them he could get to the hoop and get fouled and uh, I thought he, that he took advantage of his skills and I I thought he played as well as I've seen him play. Hey, I'm going to interject here real quick cuz we were at the game on Saturday against uh, A&M Corpus Christi. Anybody know what the story was on Dunn not playing second half? Well, I, just like Bill said he was forcing shots. He was I, I don't know what's in the flow and I I felt well, like he got he, they sat him. You think that's what it was? Okay, because it, it wasn't an injury uh, like ankle. Any, uh, I haven't uh, heard anything from anybody. And you know, I, I never, uh, I never heard anything. And you know, we didn't listen to Calvin. We, the three of us, were talking after the game about everything. But uh, yeah. uh, obviously, Roberts was not a major injury, just a tweak. And, and yeah. because and Calvin said it afterwards, he he kind of. He said it without saying it because he knew the game was in complete control. He just, Juwan, take the night off. Yeah, he had his shooting shooting shirt on, but Dunn did not have his shooting shirt on in the second half. I mean, he was was sitting on the bench in that Corpus Christi game, you know, uh, with his shooting shirt off like he was going to get back in the game. So I just, I was just wondering if anybody had heard. No, I mean, I I listened to the, the press conference afterwards as well for a game two after the fact and on YouTube. And I didn't hear anything, no reference of injuries and okay. Or things like that. So, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, if we look at game three, again, the starters were the same. So that's three games in a row with the same starters. And we saw again, a lot of the one in and four out lineups with Arsenal and Walker at the four. In fact, like you had highlighted a little bit earlier, Robert's, didn't even play at all in the second half. And Arsenal started at the four going into the second half of the game. We shot lights out this game. And the D and offensive rebounding were, again, off the charts. And finally, LJ Cryer got going. He played 32 minutes, scored 23 points, 50% from three. That's what we were expecting when he came in. And if you listen to the press conference after the game as well, even Coach had mentioned LJ Cryer, he's trying to learn the system, especially on D. It's very different than what he's expected from before at Baylor. And we expect him to play hard. There are no, you know, no plays to take off on D. And if you're expending so much energy on D, that's going to impact your offense. And so he's really getting his legs under him and getting to learn the system. And you know who else I'm going to highlight here, gentlemen, as Bill had mentioned, Terrence Arsenault. I know of the three of us, I am the biggest fan or I have the greatest confidence that he's going to do well this year. He played 22 minutes, started at the four in the second half, as we talked about, even though he only had 10 points, but he played active D. He had three steals, one block. He was aggressive 
in terms of handling the ball, passing the ball, playing defense, as well as taking his player off the dribble. And guess what? If you look at Bart Torvik plus minus box score for each individual player, you know what his box score plus minus was, gentlemen? It was plus 21.6 for the time that he was on the court. Now, that's the guy that's going to stuff the uh, the box scores and contribute to winning. That's the kind of numbers that you want to see. That was kind of his coming out party. Yeah, I think so. As, and, and, a, as a Houston Cougar. I know he had that Oregon game last year. Yeah. But he looked like uh, the player a lot of people thought uh, he'd be last, yeah. na- uh, last night. Yeah. I mean, it's last you, night, right? Okay. It, I'm getting my yeah. days fixed up. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I mean, if, if you look at the, the team stats on offense, we shot off the charts. I mean, we, we, we were shooting effective field goal percentage 61%, right? That's, that's obscene. Right, we still protected the ball, so it's not like we were going fast and trying to score aggressively. We only had seventeen point seven percent turnovers. We still offensive rebounded extremely well. On D, it was surprising, even though we crushed them. But Stetson actually shot really well: fifty four point nine percent effective field goal percentage, with fifty percent from three. But fortunately, as you guys had highlighted, we forced them into almost 37% turnovers. I mean, that is terrible in terms of handling the ball. And we stole the ball 27.25% of possessions. And we were one of the best last year. And our numbers were 12.2%. And we were one of the best in the country last year. So this more than doubled our norm in terms of stealing the ball. So again, once again, we exceeded our norms as we should have given the competition. And those were the three games. I mean, three big blowouts. And now before we get into this week's games with Towson and then potentially Utah or Wake and then, you know, fingers crossed someone like St. John's, I have a theory that I'm going to throw out there for discussion after watching three games. You know, we've seen where a lot of the four out and one in type lineup with basically four guards and a big. And my question is, Is this a continued evolution of Coach Sampson's philosophy where he was, you know, somewhat influenced by what Miami did to us in the tourney last season with that type of lineup, which opens up the court offensively? And is he thinking that we could basically trot out a turbocharged version of what Miami did with the speed and spacing on offense while not sacrificing and insisting on our standard on defensive and offensive rebounding? Uh, I'm just the analytics guy here, but that combo could mean a national championship type run if we could achieve that. So, you know, from your former player and coach's perspectives, you know, what are your thoughts on that? And uh, maybe, Bill, you want to kick that off? Sure. Uh, I'm going to say, Steve, absolutely 100% not. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think you're wrong. <laughs> yeah, I know you do. I know you do. I know you do. And I'm more than happy to argue with you. But uh, if this team had Reggie Chaney and Jarris Walker on it, there would not be four guards slash swingmen on the court. It's This is entirely a byproduct of the personnel. Cal- yeah. Calvin's, Calvin's not changing his philosophy. He's been ultra successful at Montana State. He's been ultra successful at Washington State, at Oklahoma, at Indiana, everywhere he's been. His philosophy, his, his coaching style has been successful everywhere. This is a byproduct of personnel. I mean, Francis, he even said last night, Francis, he'd try to get him two to five minutes a game. And now he's our starting center. We've only got one big player coming off the bench, Tugler. There's not, you know, multiple players you know if we get into foul trouble which which we tend to do because we play so aggressively it's just part of the deal we're gonna have to play with smaller lineups throughout the season and this to me is entirely a byproduct of the team and like I said the personnel this is not a reaction to the Miami loss I mean that Calvin said that he's had one team at Houston that he thought was good enough to win a national championship. And that was the team that lost in the uh, Elite Eight to Villanova. And he said it was a historically bad shooting night. I mean, it would be kind of like saying, well, because of that, we're going to go out and recruit nothing but shooters and guys who may not be the best defensive players, the best 
passers, but if they can spot up and drill threes, then we're going to recruit them because of how badly we shot against Villanova. This, to me, is strictly personnel, and I'll leave it at that. Yeah, so what do you think, Tom? Hard to say. Uh, I think it might be a question for uh, Ryan Monso to ask Kelvin sometime. Uh, you know, you know, Ryan can ask him at after practice sometime. Coach, we're seeing a lot of four guard lineups. You know, what's uh, what's up with that? But I don't know. It's it's hard to say. Coach Sampson can recruit to his system, and I know three of our four recruits that came in this year were bigs. But I know that recruiting, you know, started a year or so before you sign guys. So I know the coaches have a retreat at the end of the season for about a week where they just bounce ideas off each other. And then they come up with their plan. So tough to say, Bill and Steve, I don't know. That's the bottom line is, is I don't know unless I was a fly on the wall at all those meetings and all the practices and all that, you know, so I'm not sure why Coach Sampson has decided to go with more of a smaller lineup. I've always kind of been a fan of the of the four perimeter. You know, you get more skill on the floor. Yeah. You probably, you know, you take out a rim protector though, and that's gonna probably gonna hurt you defensively. And also it also has to do with what the other team puts on the floor. You know, sometimes yep. absolutely. Some, yep. You know, sometimes they put a lineup out there and you have uh Jawan chasing a six seven guy like Arsenal all over the floor and, and uh, you know, they're slicing and dicing you. Uh, and then if you're not taking advantage on the other end by getting buckets with your bigs, you know, you're you're losing out on the deal. So but I've always liked having an extra perimeter guy on the floor just for the fans. I think it's a little more exciting. But you know what? Our team has never been a pretty team <laughs> yep. when we when we play, you know, uh, yep. it's it's always like a rock fight. And, you know, we're going to win games the Coach Sampson way by playing defense and defending and rebounding and all that stuff everybody's talked about over the years. I don't know. I kind of like uh, seeing a lot of this four perimeter lineup. We'll just see how it plays out during the rest of the year. Yeah, no, I, I think you're spot on. And again, it's just throwing out ideas, especially after three early games against weak opponents. It certainly may not reflect what we do when it gets serious. That's going to be telling. In this next tournament, we'll play some tougher teams. And I'll be curious to see, do we continue to play with the four out? And don't get me wrong, right? I'm not suggesting that Coach Sampson is going to make wholesale changes in how he runs his offense. Not at all. But I could definitely see the benefit of getting a more skilled individual out there playing the four. I mean, Miami killed us with more athleticism outside. And the key is around personnel. Coach Sampson could have recruited another big, another four out of the transfer portal easily. He chose not to. He chose to go into this season with this makeup of a roster. And so he knew going in, and that's why I was suggesting even preseason, Terrence Arsenault, he's going to play a bunch at the four. Quite honestly, up to this point in three games, he's played way more at the four than I would have ever even imagined, right? So he's gained strength. He's got the skill set. It makes it easier for him. And he's tall enough and long enough to defend at the four at the college level. He's got long arms. He's gained, what, 25 pounds since last season. He's active. I don't think there'll be too many teams, even in the Big 12, where they're going to have someone at the four that I would feel uncomfortable with Terrence Arsenault guarding. So we'll see, though. Yeah, and let's be honest, too. Francis will probably be on the bench within the first yeah. four or five minutes because he's got, because he's got two fouls. Yeah, well, he's done all right though. That's he's exactly done what I was saying. It's 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 going to be a, and I agree that there's going to be a lot of four perimeter player sets and, and a lot of playing time without two bigs in the game. But it's going to be a byproduct of our personnel, number one. And number two, it certainly will depend upon, you know, who we're playing against. I mean, and not to jump ahead too much, but we're obviously going to play the winner of Utah and Wake. Yeah. And it's really interesting, without getting into the, the games, Wake's got a team that's almost identical to us. They start three perimeter players and basically one pretty good big guy. Utah, two of their best players, maybe their two best players, are seven feet and yeah. seven one. Yeah, they're big. And uh, so, It'll you know, it's, real it's test. one team that's similar to, to U of H, one team that's, that's just gigantic. And uh, 
I think we'll really get a pretty good idea of what Kelvin wants to do moving forward, how much he wants to try to keep the two big guys on the court. And fouls, Tom, as you said, are going to play a big role in that. Even last night, we were talking during the Stetson game, and, and there were several instances where Tugler made mistakes, and he's going to because he's, yep. he's a freshman. So, yep. you, you know, you've got a freshman, you've got Francis who, who hasn't played much, and so we'll see what U of H does in, in the upcoming games. It'll be interesting to see. Okay, so let's get to those next few games, right? So Towson's up next, and, you know, maybe Tom, what are your thoughts from a coach's perspective around Towson? Uh, Towson, you know, they lost Nick Timberlake, who transferred to Kansas. He was their leading scorer last year. And speaking of that, I thought Timberlake would start for Kansas. He's projected to start, but he's not. They have the five-star freshman playing instead of Timberlake, uh, El Marco Jackson. But Towson, you know, you look at them, 21-12 and 12 last year, 12-6 and six in their conference, the Coastal Athletic Association. They finished third last year. Uh, they're kind of predicted to be middle of the pack again in their conference. So they they add what I saw on the internet, you know, and everything on the internet's true, right? Okay. But they, <laughs> I'm no Pythagoras, but the internet said they return eight players and they bring in seven new players. Well, that's 15. You know, aren't you only <laughs> supposed to have 13? So I'm, I'm not sure what's up there, but they have lots of turnover on their squad. And that's about all I know. Pat Scary, their head coach, kudos to him. He's a leader in autism awareness. Like the first three games, I think, you know, we might take us 10 minutes, but eventually we're going to pull away from them. And then after that, it's just a case of when does Ryan Elvin come in? Yeah. <laughs> How about you? How about you, Bill? What do you think of this game? Yeah, Vegas needs yeah. to have uh, over-under, uh, yeah. you know, for the U of H games when, yeah. when Ryan comes in. Go ahead, Bill. Like I said, I think – we handled Towson much easier than we handled Detson. The only difference is Towson slows the ball down a little more. Their their two best players are they've got a six seven two hundred and fifty pound forward does all his scoring inside. They've also got a six six two hundred thirty pound grad transfer from from Wofford who does his scoring inside. They're not a good shooting team. Uh, I think I want to say Ken Palm last year. Ken Palm had them. 238th best shooting team from two, and, and that's with their best players scoring inside. I mean, they are really not a good team. They've hit 20 wins playing in a in a one-bid league. They've hit 20 wins five times in the last 28 years. They, I mean, they've got history, but it's a it's a history of mediocrity. They're just <laughs> not a they're they're just not a good team. We're we're going to win this game easily by 30 points. I think. And the best thing that Towson ever did was give us Justin Gorham. Yeah, there you go. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not going to disagree with you guys in terms of clearly we're going to win. And clearly we're going to win running away. But I think this is a different type of team than the other ones that we've played. Everyone else we've played has been 200 plus in Ken Palm, right? Now you're talking about a team, Towson, that was 142. Right. And that's kind of at the mid pack level across the country. The other three teams we've played are bad. They're 200 plus. They're bad. I can, I look at all the stats and there are pockets of red all over the place. If you look at Towson, they're not great at anything. They're good. And though you guys are saying possibly 30 point win, I mean, last two at least, right around 30. Uh, I don't think we're going to win by 30. I think 20. Is, is definitely likely hit. So we're st- it's still going to be a blowout, but I think it'll be closer. It'll be more of a challenge. They're a more disciplined team than the other ones that we've played. And I'll just leave it at that. Now, if we go into the better teams, kind of the meat of the Charleston tournament, we're going to play the winners of Utah and Wake, which should be a really good game. Maybe you guys want to provide a perspective on those two teams as potential opponents for us. Who wants to go first? Bill, you can take it. Yeah, Bill, why don't you go first? Okay, who, who do you want me to start with? Uh, either one. Well, we can uh, Each of us can kind of cover both teams and, okay. and give some thoughts. And okay, who, do you well, think, who you think we're actually going to be playing as well? Yeah, jeez. Uh, it's going to be an interesting game. Like I kind of alluded to earlier, two completely different makeups. Utah is so big. But, uh, you know, 
Wake's interesting. They, they Steve Forbes, their coach, he brings in good transfer portal guys, had a couple that have been ACC players of the year. But, you know, they finished eighth in the conference last year in a, in a as you've mentioned before, Steve, a, a slightly overrated conference. Uh, <laughs> Just slightly. <laughs> well, <laughs> they've gotten to the final four. Actually, they had two in the final four a couple of years ago and one last year. But your point is well taken. Probably their best player. He tore his left patella at the end of last year. He's not playing yet. And I don't know when he's going to be back, but uh, yeah, his name is Damari Monsanto. So that certainly hurts them. That's going to help Utah considerably. They've got one guy who's really high on and and he looks like he started out the year pretty well. His name is Hunter Salas. He played in a lot of games at Gonzaga up through last year. He just didn't get a lot of playing time. And now he is somewhere where he is getting playing time. He was a five-star recruit. So he's a really good, he's 6'5", two guard, but he's a phenomenal athlete. He can defend really well, rebounds, can handle the ball. He's not an absolutely exceptional shooter, but he is very good. They've got a really lightning quick point guard named Boopy Miller, and he could, he could shoot threes. He dishes the ball well, but he tends to play a little out of control. So we'll have Shed playing him and uh and then they've got another guard named Cameron Hildreth. So, like like I said, Wake's strength is their backcourt. And as I've mentioned before, teams with good backcourts play exactly into our strength. So if we happen to play Wake, I think it's probably, I don't know, maybe an 8-14 to 14 point win. They did lose at Georgia in their last game, 80-77. Yep. Uh, to 77, And Miller and, and Salas were their top scorers. But... Uh, Without Monsanto, I, I think it's going to be difficult. And that I might have picked them over Utah had he come back healthy, but I, I'm not so sure I like Wake anymore. Yeah. Okay. Do uh, you want me to jump into Utah or do you guys want to talk about Wake? Nope. Go ahead, uh, Bill. Okay, I'm fine. Ahead. Yeah. Go ahead and take Utah too. I mean, Utah had had an injury to one of their players last year and it ended up yeah you know, they might have been able to win a few more games if if it weren't for for injuries and they're predicted right around 5 6 7 8 in the pack whatever you want to call it now i, I know you you refer to it as the pack 2 <laughs> pack 2 uh, yeah but but the difference with utah as opposed to a lot of the schools we've talked about that are bringing in tons of new players uh utah's got four starters back their yep. best player is a seven-foot center named Brandon Carlson. Brandon Carlson, he actually went to the NBA camps, kind of tested the waters, and he, he would have gotten drafted, but it, it may not have been as high as he wanted to, He and he decided to come back. He's a, he's a good player. Their toughest matchup to date was against the mighty UC Riverside, and uh, they beat him 82-53, no surprise. But Carlson, their seven-foot center, shot four threes at one. There are other good players I mentioned as transfer, brand new guy from Colorado. His name is Lawson Lovering, and he's 7-1. He can also go to the perimeter, but they're, but they're good defensive players. They're a, Craig Smith is a, is a defensive coach. They're going to be in absolutely low-scoring games this year. They've got a good two-guard who's 6-6. They've got a swingman who just transferred from Washington State, 6-7, plays the two and the three. And then their point guard, whose name is Raleigh Worcester, he's six four, and he's built like a middle linebacker. So th- this is a big team. I mean, the the smallest player yeah. that gets significant minutes is is six four, and they've got a couple of guys that play a fair amount off the bench, six ten and six nine. This is kind of like Stetson, except these guys can play. It's completely just a one eighty from Wake Forest, and you know they play defense. They do not shoot the ball well at yep. all. Yeah, they, they're they're terrible uh, last year. Yeah, they are not a good no. shooting team. the The Washington State transfer plays specifically the two. His name's Cole uh, Bajima or Bajima. He could shoot. I mean, he could really shoot. And yeah, he's a player. So. so, so they've got really one guy that a consistent threat from the outside if he's not being defended. But you know, we'll guard him. the The, the interesting thing is playing them, and I think we probably play them is that height and there's their height is versatile all of them can play inside they can move outside their big men are good they're solid players and uh 
So it's going to be really interesting to see them against Wake because it, it's two diametrically opposed teams. I think Utah is a little better, and I think Utah wins, but we'll see. Okay, cool. How about you, Tom? What do you think from a coach's perspective? Well, first thing, speaking of coaches, shout out to both the coaches. From my neck of the woods, you got Craig Smith, who started at South Dakota, and then he went on to Utah State, and then uh, on to Utah. And then you have Steve Forbes, who uh, born in Lone Tree, Iowa. So a little Midwest connection there. As far as who we play, Utah, Wake Forest, flip a coin. You know, it's only like the third game for both both of these schools. So, you know, stuff to say who we're, who we're going to play. One thing both teams had in common is that they both ended the season last year on a, on a sour note. Utah ended uh, the season on a six-game losing streak. Uh, Wake, they lost four of their last five, eight of their last 12 in that uh, home stretch. You know, Wake was good enough last year to beat Duke. So, you know, you never know what can, what can happen. But I like our chances we get past Towson. I like our chances with either team. Okay. When I look at the analytics between these two teams, I'm going to disagree with the two of you guys in terms of it being close. I don't think Wake has a chance against Utah. I think people are underselling Utah's potential this year. As you guys highlighted, they've got some big guys and they can play. They're older as well. Steve? Yeah. Is this West Coast bias? <laughs> could be, could be. No, I don't. I don't consider Utah West Coast. So <laughs> they're, well, they're in the mountains, right? They're one of those mountain schools. Washington, Oregon, playing in the Big Ten. Yeah, what's what's <laughs> you know, U.S. kids don't know geography anyway, so you know they they're not catching all they're not catching all this stuff. That's right. But you know, when, when I look at the the analytics, though, I mean Utah's a good team. If you look at, for at least the time being, they're 41st in adjusted offensive efficiency and 34th in adjusted defensive efficiency. And Wake is, I mean, they're okay on the offensive side at 52nd, then they're 133rd in defense. And Utah, as Will had highlighted, they were a terrible shooting team, ranking 257th in effective field goal percentage last year. But Fortunately, Wake is terrible at defending shooters, where they were 240th in terms of defending against their opponents. And so, quite honestly, I think the physicality of Utah is just going to beat up Wake, and, and they'll advance to play our Cougars. And I think they beat Wake by double digits, quite honestly. And for us, I think it'll be a it'll be a rock fight with Utah, and it might be within 10 points. And so it'll be a good test of how we do and how we're actually going to play against a better opponent. And then if, if we progress it along, obviously, we're all hoping that we get to play St. John's in the finals. I don't think we're going to spend any time there because this is really pushing it in terms of projections at this point. And we did do a, an overview of St. John's in one of our earlier episodes. But all I'll say, yeah. Twice. Twice. That's that's right. You're your, your top 25 and, yeah. and future U of H opponents. Yeah. So we'll see. I, I just like to see a, a matchup of legendary coaches. That would just be fun. I don't think they've got the talent to match up with us. And as you guys have highlighted in our conversations, we're not even convinced that they're going to make it to the finals of the tournament. But boy, it would be fun to see Patino versus Samson. Well, just real quickly, Steve, yep. I do think St. John's has the talent. I just think that they're all, every single player on that team except for one is brand new. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's going to take them a while. They just got pounded at Madison Square Garden by Michigan, but Michigan took them apart. So yeah. they're gonna, they've got an unbelievable amount of talent, but it's going to take them a while. And they get by date, and then we play them in the finals. We're catching them at a good time. I think we're probably better than they are, regardless of when we play them during the season, if it's us versus them. And they're not where they will be later in the year. You know, here's the funny part of it, and I was looking at it. I think they play North Texas State University in the first round. And when the three of us were talking offline, we were saying, oh, maybe Dayton might come out on their side. But guess what? I'm not convinced St. John's is going to get past North Texas State University in the first round. They're actually playing tough this year, right? They still have some remnants of the hard-nosed D from when McCaslin was there, and they've done well early in the season. So don't sleep on North Texas State University. Yeah, they, I think they lost a couple of really 
good players. Pretty talented yeah. players. Yeah. I, I, I'm not going to go quite that far. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, they got. I'd, I'd love to be wrong. Yeah. I'd absolutely love to be wrong. I don't. I don't care about two legendary coaches playing each other. I'd love to see North Texas beat St. <laughs> John's. I think it'd be awesome. Yeah. Hey, so I think that's it from U of H games from a summary perspective, as well as projecting out for this next week. Let's highlight a few games for fans to really look out for from a Big 12 perspective and maybe just a couple of minutes on each one if you've got some thoughts. And really the, the big marquee game is going to be actually playing tonight, KU versus Kentucky. It will surprise uh, you. I got the game on right now. Yeah, it, it will surprise us. Yeah. <laughs> Kentucky's up by 12. Are you serious? Okay, well, uh, there goes yeah. my uh, my prediction. I had a prediction of <laughs> of Kansas winning by double digits. It's so, wow. I had Kansas. I had Kansas. I've written down right in front of me, Kansas between 8 and 15. <laughs> wow, that's a shocker. Holy cow. Okay. 14 now. 14-point lead. And this is in the second half? Yeah, 16 minutes left in the second. It's, wow. Uh, it's... Uh, Kentucky up by 14. Okay. Well, skip that. Okay. <laughs> I, I guess the next one was like Tech, yeah, on right? Yeah, on to the next game. <laughs> yeah, next game. <laughs> you know, Tech playing Corpus Christi and um, it I only, you know, highlighted this game since it's a common opponent and gives us maybe at least a little bit of a sense of what Tech is going to be like when we compare the results. What are your guys' thoughts on on that game? Bill, you can go ahead. Okay, well, obviously, McCaslin is a good coach, a very good coach, a good defensive coach. Uh, did really well at North Texas. He, he's got one, basically one player of value left. Now, he's brought in a bunch, but he's, yeah. but Pop Isaacs, the point guard, is what he's got back. And, you know, the other two good players that he brought, or the, maybe the two best that he's brought in are uh, Cambridge, the shooting guard, and Warren Washington, the seven-one center, both transferred in from ASU. They've had two wins. The best team they've played is San Jose State, who's not exactly a world beater. They beat them fifty-six forty-two. You maybe kind of expect a score like that out of a McCaslin coach team, but uh, I don't know. This this one particularly does not interest me. I don't think. Yeah. This is not going to be Tech's year. They're they're going to be near the bottom of the conference, in my opinion. Really? And wow. I think Tom I, and I, I just, had predicted like eighth, uh, eighth place, just just yeah, based on McCaslin. Well, right? I'll tell you this, yeah. and and we've we've talked about it before. I will, if you want to bet dinner, I'll bet you dinner that BYU finishes ahead of Tech. Wow. Okay, I'll take that <laughs> bet. I'll take that just, bet. <laughs> all right. Perfect. I just I just I don't think I don't think this is Tech's year. Okay, cool. Okay. How about you, Tom? What do you think? Uh, you know, from what I know about McCaslin, kind of a mirror image of uh, Coach Sampson, yeah. you know, one of the slower paces in the country, very defensive-oriented. But like Bill alluded to, just don't know yet how the pieces will fit yet, you know, because he's got a lot of new players and brings in a whole, whole new system. So, and like you, you said, Steve, Common opponent A and M Corpus Christi, so you kind of you kind of can compare a little bit, you know, how each team did against uh, Corpus Christi. But yeah, we'll just we'll just have to wait and see by Tech. But I do think Tech will be one of the surprise teams of the Big Twelve this year. And yeah. it's and it's and it's early. I mean, we got we got four months until Selection Sunday, and uh, I fall into the trap every year. College basketball, you know, Maui Invitational. The battle for Atlantis. <laughs> there, there's teams that just wow you. Yes. Uh, I mean, just it's like these guys are going to, you know, no doubt, final four team, final four team, and then you know you get scouted a little bit more. Yeah. Everybody knows. Everybody knows your sets, uh, your actions. Uh, they start scouting your personnel. They start taking away, you know, certain things, and then uh, and you know some teams get better and some teams get worse. Yeah, I mean, you and I were talking about that at the the game, right? Where mm -hmm. Arizona was kind of fit, kind of fits that category from last year, where they were world beaters to kick off the year. I, I actually thought they may have been like the best team in the country early well, in the if, year. If, you know, my so. you know my memory's not that great anymore. But wasn't Michigan one of those teams last year? At the uh, it was in one of those uh, Thanksgiving yeah. tournaments. I thought Michigan was a was one of those teams that. 
And then, and then take a look at Michigan State this year. They'll probably be out of the top 25 the next next time the poll comes out. Everybody Don't even them. get me started on the Big Ten. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And and I, you know, I jumped on the bandwagon, you know, and put them, I think, in my top 25 at number four. Yeah. And, uh, you know, now, like I said, they'll probably be out of the top 25. So, yeah, you know. It's crazy. Knows? This early part yeah. of the year, right? It just, yeah. uh, but that's what makes it so great. Now, the, the final game maybe we talk a little bit about is Kansas State versus Providence. And I highlighted this one since it's a, a marquee game where it's Big 12 versus Big East. What are your guys' thoughts on that game? Bill, you want to start off? Sure. Another team that I think will be competitive but not as good as people necessarily think they could be is K-State. I think the the few starters that they lost from last year, I think, are going to really be difficult to replace. They, they've yeah. got some. They've actually got some good players, and they brought in, ironically, the Conference USA Player of the Year from last year from yeah. North Texas. North Texas, yeah. Uh, Tyler Perry, not that Tyler Perry, but uh, <laughs> in, a, in any event, ev- everything everything rests on him. He's he's yeah. just so dynamic. I mean. 5'11 point guard, but he shoots. Jerome Tank said he is the best shooter in America. Uh, Best shooter he's ever seen. He, oh God, they just, in that game that they got beaten pretty handily by USC, he was 5 of 17 from the field. (laughs) But but you know what? Everyone's going to have poor shooting games. He's a good player. They're really a a guard-heavy team, and he's going to be the key to that team. I think the losses that they've had are are just going to be a little too much to overcome. Providence has two really good players. One is one is an inside player. He's a former transfer, or he is a transfer, formerly from Kentucky. Bryce Hopkins, he's 6'7", about 230. He is just a beast. And I, I don't know how they possibly handle him. Uh, they've got a great guard, a 6'3", Devin Carter. He's he's as good a defensive guard. He'll He could guard a power forward. He could guard a point guard. And so he'll probably be on Perry. And I think Providence, the way they play, as strong as they are, as physical as they are, I think they win that game maybe something like 68-62, something in that range. They just spanked Wisconsin, uh, which doesn't necessarily make me happy, but (laughs) it also doesn't surprise me one bit. And uh, and they held him to, I mean, it was ridiculous. It was like 30, maybe in the mid-30s from the field, 25% from three. And, and, and a lot of that is, is Wisconsin-related. But, but it also yeah. heavily is influenced by the way Providence plays defense. Kim English is a really good coach. And, yeah, I, I just see Providence winning that game. I think they're too good. Okay. How about you, Tom? What do you think of that game? Too tough to tell for you know for me. I kind of think Kansas State will take uh, take a step back a little bit this year. I mean, they like Bill said, they lost they lost two really good players. What was that point guard? Was it Noel? He was yeah. small point guard, and then they had the other uh, other player that had the heart condition. You know, I think he went on to the NBA. So I don't know when Jerome Tang kind of a honeymoon year. Twenty six games they won. We'll we'll see what he can do in in year two. Yeah, I, I know. Mean, he- yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say. I mean, he recruited well. He got some some really good players, as we've highlighted earlier on. I think losing Naquan Tomlin to suspension has been a big hit. They were counting on him to contribute in a in a big way in their front line. Yeah, you know, I'm not going to go into the analytics because, quite honestly, with Providence and the new coach and a bunch of new players, I don't think the the analytics from the previous few years actually count. I'm actually in agreement with Bill that Providence will likely win. I think the the loss of players and uh, and things like that on the KSU side is just too tough for now. But hopefully, hopefully Naquan Tomlin gets back, and uh, I think they've got another kid that's injured as well, and they'll start getting better come conference time. But yeah, I'm I'm rooting for K State. You know, a Big Twelve school, uh, Big East people are now saying they're the best conference in the in the country. So. Yeah. You know, obviously, I'm rooting for rooting for K State. Plus, my Uber driver the other day, he was a K State grad. I was he? Talked, yeah, I talked to him a little bit. He ran he ran track there, and he was filling me in on their team. 
<laughs> Mostly football. Mostly football. Wow, we don't yeah. talk football here. This is no. a basketball only podcast. Okay, so. thank, thank God. Yeah, especially, <laughs> especially K State U of H football. Yeah, no, no kidding. It's like ah. Uh, yeah, the last thing I want to do is talk about football, college football at this point. Anyway, so I think that's it for episode six of the No Conference for Old Men podcast. And thanks again for Bill Walker joining us today to co-host. Hope you all enjoyed it. And again, would really appreciate it if you follow, subscribe, or collect our podcast, depending on your podcast platform of choice. We truly appreciate all of the support, keeps us going, and continues to reinforce our view that there is an interest out there for the type of deep college hoops insights we're trying to provide for Cougar and Big 12 fans. Also, please give us a follow on our Twitter account, No Conference for Old Men. Thank you all again for listening, and episode number seven will come out hopefully next week. We'll have to take a look at the schedule to see if there's enough content to do it next week. So please be on the lookout to listen, download next week. Thanks again, everyone.